And in the suffering itself, he will use that evil and that bad circumstance for something good. I like this um, hymn, How Firm a Foundation, and it connects really well with Isaiah here. It says this in one of the stanzas, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor, and I'm here with my co-host, Pastor Daniel Ventura. It's good to be here with you, brother, and to meditate on Isaiah again. And uh, what passage did you preach on this past week, and what was the main point? This last Sunday, we considered Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7, which is one of my all-time favorites in God's Word. It's a wonderful text that brings so much comfort. And Isaiah here is helping us prepare for suffering. And we consider that the key to becoming stronger through suffering is not found by running away from bad circumstances or turning inward to find strength, but rather it is found in this, knowing the Lord our God who promises to walk with us through our sufferings. That's beautiful. I love Isaiah 43 as well. It's one of my favorites. I can remember in 2020 when COVID hit, this was the text that I preached when we first went into lockdowns in Canada and when there were many unknowns and, and people were very afraid. It was helpful to turn to the word of God here and to hear those words, you know, fear not. But what was the historical context for this particular passage in Isaiah? In the chapter just prior, Isaiah just told them that things were about to go down in a really bad way. Babylon was coming to sack Jerusalem. They'd come and destroy Solomon's temple and deport thousands of Judeans, especially the elite from among their society, away from their homeland and away from their freedom to worship God the way God had prescribed for them in his word. And so naturally, this bad news would have caused any of them, all of them, to fear and dread the future. And it's with that condition of heart that Isaiah here is anticipating in his people and the people of God and he addresses them. He speaks to their heart and tells them twice, fear not. And so this is a message of reassurance, of comfort, but he isn't saying it's not gonna be as bad as you might imagine or don't worry and just be happy. Rather, he's helping them prepare for the worst to come. It's such a loving thing that God does in actually preparing his people for suffering. Right, you think about that even as an earthly father or parent and wanting to prepare your kids for living out in the world in different seasons of life and doing your best to equip them before the actual time comes upon them. And in many ways, like you said, here is God preparing his people and giving them in many ways a theology of suffering well as they trust in the Lord who is with them in these things. That's right. You know, even last night in our Spanish language Bible study, we were considering Acts chapter 14, where the apostle Paul was in Lystra and he was stoned and taken out of the city, thought to be dead. And then he enters back in and he ends up encouraging the Christians there. And this is what he tells them in verse 22. So the apostle Paul beaten up, broken down, is coming in and he strengthens the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And that's the same for all of us. Through many sufferings and tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom of God. There is a cross before us. The way forward of following Jesus, our master who was crucified, is the way of the cross. And so suffering is in our path. Mm -hmm. And the prophet here in Isaiah is saying, fear not, 
when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He doesn't say if you pass through the waters, but rather when, because the Babylonian captivity was not something that they could avoid. It was going to happen. They were going to pass through it. And so God says, when you do, know that I will be with you. And his point there is that I'm not going to abandon you. I'll be there alongside you, upholding you, sustaining you in the midst of your trials and the suffering that you go through. So look to me and wait on me by faith, the Lord God is telling us from this passage. That's really good. And in many ways, we could say that's the same thing God says to every Christian. It's not, you know, simply if you're going to go through trials, pay attention to this. But when you go through them, remember this, right? And Mm. I think of Jesus's words in John 16, where he says, you know, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so all of us will go through suffering at some point in our lives and in different kinds of ways. But how is this different, this approach to suffering, uh, different from the typical ways that people in the world approach suffering? Well, there's nothing new under the sun, and people today still approach troubles and calamities and suffering in the same old way that people thousands of years did. And that's why in my sermon I mentioned two ancient Greek schools of thought and their approach to suffering in life. On the one hand, the Epicureans, and on the other hand, the Stoics. And so Epicureans, in their philosophy, they tried to maximize pleasure and avoid all suffering. They were what we'd call today hedonist in pursuit of a blissful, happy, pleasure-filled life. And if Isaiah was an Epicurean, he would have told the Israelites, well, if you stay with God in Jerusalem, it's gonna be bad for you, so get out of Dodge, retreat from Jerusalem and its religion, go find peace elsewhere, pursue your desires and your personal preferences at all cost. That's what's most important at the end of the day. And this is a very popular mentality in our culture, right? For example, if your spouse is keeping you from doing what you want and becoming the person that you want to be, the world says, just leave. Go find happiness with someone else while you can. On the other hand, another approach to facing trouble and suffering is the one with the Stoics, who would focus not on maximizing pleasure, but focusing on self-control. Because they saw that suffering was natural to life, but they also believe that a weak-minded person alone is really affected by such suffering. They would say that if you are emotionally strong, you can endure any and all kind of suffering. Like Marcus Aurelius who said, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. So if Isaiah was a Stoic, he would have said, you can't avoid this coming suffering, so do all that you can to strengthen your mind. You can't change the situation, so just change yourself. You are stronger than you think. You can get through this if you just turn inward and buckle down. And this approach to suffering is also very, very popular today. Now, as we hear both of those approaches, one of the two probably resonates with our listeners uh, more than the other. And as you're listening, you're probably thinking, yeah, I'm a bit more like a Stoic or a bit more like an Epicurean when it comes to suffering in life. But Isaiah's approach is different. The Christian approach to suffering is different. It's not run away from your problems. It's not turn inward to try and overcome your problems by becoming stronger in yourself, but rather look to the Holy One who enters your problems with you. Trust that he is there upholding you and sustaining you. Lean on him and he will pull you through by his promises and his grace. That's really good, brother. All of us need that reminder that the power in our suffering to get through it or to overcome things is not in ourself. 
and it's not in our own ability to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and keep on going in the Christian life. But even as he preached from Isaiah 40, right, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, that we receive power and strength from outside of ourselves from God, right? And that is so important to remember when we're going through our suffering. I'm excited to share with you a sermon clip from Reverend H.B. Charles, where he leans into this wonderful reality, this promise of God that he is with us, even when we don't realize it, even when we're stubborn and reluctant to lean upon God, he is still with us, loving us, protecting us, caring for us. Listen in, be encouraged. This is Reverend H.B. Charles in his sermon, God will give you strength from Isaiah chapter 40. Speaker and author Tony Campolo says that when he was in the first grade, he had a girl in the second grade that his mama paid 15 cents a week to walk him to school. But when he got to the second grade, he said, Mama, I'm a big boy now. And I don't need this girl walking me to school. Mama wouldn't. He said, Mama, listen. If you let me walk by myself, I'll only charge you a nickel. You can keep the other 10 cents for yourself. <laughs> he kept pressuring. Mama finally agreed. And one day at a family get-together, uh, Compolo was boasting and bragging about what a big boy he was. And Mama couldn't take it no more and jumped in to say to him what I want to sit down saying to you. She said, son, Tony, I don't mean to bust your bubble, but you need to know you ain't never walked to school alone. Never. Every morning when you left the house, mama would let you get a house or two down the road and I'd follow you to school every step of the way. And then when three o'clock came, mama would be waiting by a tree and I'd follow you home every step of the way. I'm in my seat shallow, but I want you to know, no matter how things look, you ain't walking alone. You ain't in this thing by yourself. I love that sermon illustration, which drives home this truth for us, that God is always with us, even when we don't recognize it, and even when we're reluctant and trying to be independent. If you'd like to listen to more of H.B. Charles' preaching, you can find his website, hbcharlesjr.com, and listen to some of his sermons. He's a wonderfully gifted, humble servant of the Lord. But now, let's get back to our show. Uh, in what ways is some suffering avoidable? Yeah, in the entirety of God's Word, we find that there is some suffering that we should try and avoid. And the book of Proverbs speaks very much about that through a variety of different axioms and refrains and wise sayings it is showing us that there are two paths in life generally if you make foolish decisions and go down the path of folly it will bring you trouble calamity suffering in life you reap what you sow generally and so we find that in life sometimes people come into trouble because they brought it upon themselves or other times God disciplines and chastises his people for their sins, similar to the way a loving father might discipline his children or does discipline his children. And it's for our good so that we'd wise up, correct our ways and walk in his path of righteousness. And so we should try and avoid 
the suffering that comes from sowing bad decisions and reaping the trouble that comes from that, or also sowing in sin and reaping the kind of discipline from God our Father. But there's much suffering that is unavoidable. And we live in a broken world where things don't work out the way they should. What book in the Bible speaks about that, Pastor Daniel? I know you've preached on this. Yeah, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Like you mentioned, Proverbs kind of tells us in general the way the world operates, the way that we should expect things to go. If you follow a certain formula, you'll probably get a certain outcome. And that's true in general terms. But Ecclesiastes kind of shows us the exceptions to life, that life isn't always a nice and tidy formula that we follow. But sometimes even righteous people who are trying to follow the Lord will suffer. And obviously you see that in the Bible with you know, men like Job and others who are following the Lord and faithful, but yet who you know, experience great suffering. That's right. And so uh, on the one hand, we should try and avoid trouble by being wise and following God's wisdom as found in the Proverbs and other parts of God's word. But also, as you said, there's much trouble and strife and frustration in our day-to-day life that comes from living in a broken world under the curse of sin. And so we have to prepare ourselves today for the unavoidable trouble that might come tomorrow. As with the case for Israel before their exile, which is when Isaiah's prophecy came to them, we must know God and his promises to be with us now, today, before we go into the furnace of suffering tomorrow. Because if we try to find God in the furnace, we won't find him there. We need to know him now and learn how to walk with him today in order to walk with him through the valleys of the shadow of death. Now, Pastor Daniel, I'm not sure if as I preached this sermon, or perhaps you've preached it before, was there a story that you thought I was going to mention that I didn't mention in the sermon by chance? Oh, yeah, the story of Daniel with his friends in Babylon. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because Isaiah here talks about going through the waters and through the fire, right? And that the fire will not consume you. And that's something that, you know, comes out very clearly from uh, the story of Daniel in Babylon in Daniel 3, verse 16 through 18. We read this, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And there they're opposing Nebuchadnezzar, who is telling them and and all the people in Babylon to bow down to an image of him, right? And here as faithful, you know, Israelites, they are refusing to do that. And so in Daniel 3, 23, we read, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. The king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, 
and no smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. What a wonderful story that very much is connected with our passage here in Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, Literally, they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they were not consumed by the flames, which is astonishing. Uh, We see that God was also literally with them uh, through the presence of his angel there, the angel of the Lord. Now, Pastor Daniel, as we read how God fulfilled this promise in Isaiah to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, does that mean that God promises the, the same thing to us from this passage in Isaiah, that if we're thrown into the fire or into waters to be drowned or crucified or whatever the world might do to us, that God will preserve our bodies from such a death? That's a great question, and I think you kind of see the answer to it even in these three men's reply to the king, where they where they declare their allegiance to the Lord that He will preserve them and be with them. But they say, even if not, like we we are not going to bow down to you, O King. And and I think the Lord hasn't promised to deliver us from every earthly calamity, whether it be any of those things that you mentioned. But He's promised to be with us in that calamity, and even through that calamity, He promises to bring us ultimate deliverance. Right, just like Jesus being vindicated on the third day, raised again, declared to be the righteous Son of God, well, God will vindicate in the end all of his children. And in the suffering itself, he will use that evil in that bad circumstance for something good. I like this um, hymn, How Firm a Foundation, and it connects really well with Isaiah here in this, this question that you asked. It says this in one of the stanzas, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And there you see God's purpose to use those fiery trials, you think of First Peter here, to refine our faith even and to grow us. And then it connects with the waters as well in, in one other stanza when it says this, when through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Again, God promising uh, not to deliver us in the sense of the bodily calamity, but to sanctify that event for our good and, and for his glory. That's right. And it also reminds me of a passage in Romans chapter eight, where the apostle Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so the Christians in Paul's day and throughout church history have suffered these troubles, these calamities, and even death itself. And the apostle Paul says, in conclusion, that those things cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think that captures as well that promise. It's it's not that we won't suffer It's not that death won't befall us Mm. in the end, 
but rather through such troubles, through such suffering, Christ is with us and nothing can separate us from his love for us. Amen, brother. Yeah, and how does this, you know, truth from Isaiah here, and even as it's kind of seen in Daniel's life, how does all of this point us to Jesus? And how does the gospel of grace, you know, change our approach when we walk through pain and suffering? Well, we have the comfort of God's presence with us to ultimately save us from condemnation, which is what we deserve, and death. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus was drowned in the judgment waters for us and consumed by the fires of God's wrath for us, instead of us, in exchange for us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human nature, went through the waters and fire of judgment that we deserve for our sins against God in order to forgive us and ultimately deliver us in the end. And so we have the great comfort that the one who's promising to be with us in our suffering, in the waters as we pass through them, and in the fire as we walk through it, is the very one who's already entered into that. And we think again of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Lord God was accompanying them in the fiery furnace. And many scholars and theologians and preachers throughout the ages have identified that figure, the angel of the Lord, as a sort of pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity there entering into the fiery furnace as a picture ahead of the time, pointing forward to what Jesus would do on the cross where he suffered in our place for us. And this totally changes our approach to walking through pain and suffering. The gospel changes it. And Tim Keller, I want to quote again from Keller, uh, as I did in the sermon, he says this, if you remember with grateful amazement that Jesus was thrown into the ultimate furnace for you on the cross, you can begin to sense him in your smaller furnaces with you. And when you get thrown into the furnace, you can say to yourself, this is my furnace. I'm not being punished for my sins because Jesus was thrown into that ultimate fire for me. And so if he went through that greatest furnace steadfastly for me, I can go through the smaller furnace steadfastly for him. Hmm. I love that, um, that illustration from Keller as well. And it's just, it's memorable and it's helpful. And it's a really comforting passage here in Isaiah 43 as God prepares his people for suffering. But in what way does this passage also challenge us as Christians? In this part of the book of Isaiah, he has entered into a section where he's leaning into comfort and the promise of renewal that comes after judgment. And it comes after many, many chapters filled with rebukes and corrections and warnings of coming judgment. And so that's why as we come to this point, it is heavy on comfort. He's leaning in. He really wants to speak to the heart of his people and to us, the comfort that God brings to us, the good news of the gospel. But there's still a strong challenge to us here. We have to remember that we live in a culture that prizes independence and expressive individualism to go out and carve our own path, create our own selves, etc. And those ideas are literally written into the constitution of us as a nation in the United States of America. And for that reason, some of us, including myself, are a bit reluctant to rely on God to turn to him prayerfully in meditation on his word, to abide in his love in the midst of our suffering can be hard. Sometimes we want to do it on our own and we don't sense God's presence with us there. We don't seek his presence with us there uh, in the ways that he has given us 
in his word. And so we're challenged in that sense. Others might be tempted to turn to different kinds of saviors, false gods to help pull them through, banking on their career, their physical strength, their beauty, their charisma, their spouse or their children to try and get through their troubles, leaning on other things other than God himself. And that's fine for a bit until things heat up, until the waters start to rise and human resources are limited, strength is limited, beauty is limited, intelligence is limited. All of those things have a limit and eventually we'll find that they will not save us from the fire and the waters, that they cannot ultimately save us. And, and so we must, and this passage is showing us, we must be challenged to lean on God, to turn to him to walk with him by faith. And God is declaring to all of us from this passage, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And there's no other Savior beyond God himself. That's right. And, you know, I think these last couple of years, we've recognized that all security that we think we have on this world is, is really an illusion at the end of the day. And that we are, as a society and as a, as a people, we are way more fragile than we care to admit. And I think regardless of, you know, how the last couple of years and 2020 through 2022 has affected you, I think we could all see how fragile we are as human beings. And, you know, regardless of, of what we continue to go through as a nation and as a culture, uh, this is the word that we need to hear from God himself. Whatever things might cause our hearts to fear, and we need to be remember that, that the comfort we have and the security we have is ultimately truly in God himself. And every other thing that we want to put our security and comfort in is ultimately an illusion. It's, not, it's, a false, it's a false God, as you mentioned. It's not a firm foundation to put our feet on. Only the Lord, right? Only Christ, only his promises. He's the only one who is stable for us in our lives. That's right. And we need to learn how to stable our lives on that firm foundation in times of prosperity, in times of peace. We need to learn how to walk with God now because the best way to prepare to walk with God through the waters and through the fire is to learn how to walk with him under the warm sunshine and the delightful rains of peaceful days. If we learn how to walk with Jesus by faith when things are calm, then we will know how to walk with him in the midst of the storms. And when we do, he will calm our hearts with the peace that surpasses understanding, the peace that he is with us and that he will, by his promise, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, bring us to himself into glory in the very end. Amen, brother. And you know, this passage is a wonderful one, this whole chapter, but which particular verse do you recommend we commit to memory from Isaiah 43? Well, it's hard to pick one verse out of this passage because the whole passage is just beautiful. In one sense, I'd, I think we should commit the whole seven verses to memory but if we had to pick one, maybe verse two. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. That's a good word to end on. And thank you, listener, for joining us today for this midweek musing. We look forward to bringing you another one next week.